welcome to What the Duck, a podcast with real experts talking about direct spin challenges and experiences. And now, here's your host, Source Day's very own manufacturing maven, Sarah Scudder. Thank you for joining me for What the Duck, another supply chain podcast brought to you by Source Day. I'm your host, Sarah Scudder, and this is the podcast for people working in the direct materials part of supply chain. I'm at Sarah Scudder on LinkedIn and at S Scudder on Twitter. If you are new to the show, make sure to follow this podcast so you don't miss any of our direct materials supply chain content. Today, I'm going to be joined by Cole Perry, and we're going to discuss how to increase and manage a larger supplier base. If you work for a manufacturer and are struggling to source and manage a larger group of suppliers with a minimal spend increase, then this episode is for you. Cole Perry is the Strategic Sourcing Director at Tilson Technology Management. He's responsible for their fleet and equipment, subcontractor sourcing and compliance and material sourcing. Welcome to the show, Cole. Thank you. Glad to be here. So if you're wondering why my background looks a little off, we had a crazy storm today in Austin. I don't think the roads here are built built too well for massive rain torrential downpour. So we've got a lot of flooding and our office lost power. So our podcast studio is out of commission today. So this is the makeshift do it from your home podcast interview. Cole, I'd like to have you describe yourself for me in one sentence. Yeah, one sentence is always hard. But what I would say is that... Professionally, listen, I really, really do like data and I like relationships and managing relationships and then the, how those two converge, managing relationships, data. And then, yeah, so I guess a professional that's how I describe myself. <laughs> what do you do for fun? So outside of work, I like to get outdoors. I like to camp. I like to hike. A little bit of running here and there. I still play video games. Which is something I did growing up. Still do. At almost 40 at this point. And, uh, and then also, listen, I've got a child that's, uh, that's eight-year-old and a couple of stepkids. Parts of that are fun. Parts of that are not. But, uh, but yeah, see, seeing them grow up and trying to help them mature is pretty fun. Favorite video? I am not a video gamer, but I know lots sure. and lots of people are. So favorite video game? Sure. So probably the Assassin's Creed series. Do the, do, so. Is that something appropriate for the kids to play along? Not unless they're older <laughs> kids, probably. They're, it's a little bit violent. So. That's what it sounded like from the name. Yeah. So when we were prepping for the interview, and you actually already just mentioned it, that you have a love for data. So why the love for number and numbers and spreadsheets? You actually mentioned that yeah. as well. Yeah. So I feel like that it really is a good way to tell a story about where you've been. Obviously, the forecasting piece is another piece, and obviously you can use the past to help forecast where you're going to go. But like I said, numbers don't lie. Obviously, the way that you format the data, the way that you get data from multiple systems and combine it, it really can help you tell a story and kind of help you decide how to manage things even into the future. It can really help you learn, help you focus. Even like with vendor management, for it can really help focus you on the vendors that matter, really where you're spending the money, for example, or where spend's getting away from you. So you started your purchasing career in the food industry. So tell me about your first procurement gig. How did it all start? Yeah, so my first procurement gig really was actually, I was more of a replenishment buyer. And when I actually was in college for my undergrad, I took a supply chain course. And that was really the first introduction I had into supply chain management. 
Uh, that professor that I had back then, actually, I, I still talk to once in a while today, just because it made that big of an impact on my life for whatever reason, eventually on my career and what I wanted to do and everything. And so the way it came about was I was actually selling cell phones prior to that and finally found a what I would consider a professional, more of an office job, or whatever that means these days. And then that was in food distribution. And weirdly, I worked for what they called a food redistributor. So we were actually a level up. So really all we did was we aggregated demand among a bunch of different locations and brought it into one and then combined a bunch of different vendor inbounds into one outbound for us. Um, so ultimately we were saving freight money by adding a ship through location, which is a little bit counterintuitive. But my role was, I was the guy that I managed about 60 different vendors. I, I would every day, I would come in and I would run my inventory report, and which was always about 14 or 15 pages. And I'd literally go through a ruler and a highlighter and literally highlight the things I thought I might need to buy. <laughs> And that, that and then managing inbound stuff that was late, things, freight issues, things like that. So that was ultimately what my original role was. It makes me think of the days of post-it notes, where I yeah. have post-it notes all over my wall or all over my computer when you said highlighting spreadsheets. Yeah. You also have post-it notes all over your monitor? I have upgraded and I've automated, okay. so I try okay. to minimize things on my desk and put as much as I can on my computer. Sure. So after you, you went back to school and got your MBA, and then you moved into telecommunication construction, working for a company called DICOM, what did you do for them? So my original role for them, I was really looking that next step up. I got my MBA. Where I was didn't quite have that next step that I was looking for. So I took a job as a material manager is what they called it. But ultimately what that responsibility was, I worked for one of their subsidiaries who was based in North Carolina. And I was the corporate guy that managed basically all of our fields purchasing as well as all of our warehouse management. So I was the guy that set up all the items and maintained our database of items. I was the guy that dealt with all of the vendors. I was the person that trained and hired all the warehouse people as well as handled the invoices once we received stuff, things like that. And so that was my initial role there. It evolved over the years, but. What did, what were your direct inputs? How did you define direct working in telecom? Yeah, so there it was, in telecom, even with what I do today, it's very, what we consider direct materials or what we consider essentially what to us are raw materials are what for most people are finished goods, right? So like you interviewed on one of your podcasts, someone from Corning on yeah. the fiber optic side. That's a big input for us is the fiber optic cable. There's other different types of boxes and enclosures and all sorts of different parts and pieces that go into it, nuts and bolts, literally in some cases. And so the other thing where I was working there was very driven by an end customer who really defined a lot of what we had to buy at the time. So it really depended on who the customer was, what we had to buy, and what we had to make. They did a lot of maintenance type work. So you had to keep a lot of things in stock in case a cable got cut or in case a service went out to somebody's home. Because it's very driven around telephone and internet and this kind of thing. And so when people call and say, hey, my internet's not working, my phone's not working, we were the people that they would call. But like you would call the phone company and the phone company would call us. And we were expected to respond and fix the thing. Yeah, and you right? can't so say, oh, people you, in the trucks and, you can't say, oh, we'll get the part in two months. No, that doesn't really work very well. But you've at least got to have something to be able to temporary at a minimum. So, yeah, you want to get people back in service. So you've got to have those materials on hand. And so really part of the struggle there, there's always a struggle a little bit between the people doing the ordering and the people trying to maintain inventory levels and 
the people who are trying to do the work, your operations piece of it. And so there it's really about what do you really need to keep on hand in case of an emergency and, and what is it like I used one of those things 10 years ago and I think I might need one again. So that was the common, that's always the struggle, right? So that was the struggle there. It was always trying to keep enough inventory, not keep too much. It was not that different in that way from the food distribution. Yeah. So same kind of so when it, inventory terms are looking a lot differently. But yeah. yeah. And direct, just in time has gone away. I'm not sure if it'll ever come yeah. back to life again. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting that you did when you were at DICOM is you did something called outbound customer pricing. What is That's this? That's what I called it, I think, in my, yeah. So I'll get the, so the way I would describe it is essentially I was actually doing the bidding, like in the estimating type of functions and compiling a bunch of pricing, comparing it, that kind of thing. One thing that really has defined my career the last 10 or so years in general is that I don't say no to a lot of things, which is both good and bad. And so like I wound up doing things like working on customer pricing, even though like I was the material manager, right? And like I ended up working on, I was the guy that was there when we started up new projects and new contracts and that kind of thing. And so... It's one of the things, why are you doing that if you're the material manager? That's a good question. But like I said, it's just, hey, I can work a spreadsheet. Yeah, I can do numbers. It's just inputs, it's outputs, whatever. So like I ended up being the guy that did a lot of those kind of things. And uh, ultimately, it's not really what I wanted to do longer term, and it's not what I'm doing today, but it is something that it taught me a lot. I learned a lot about the business of the telecom construction and engineering and projects. But at the same time, I said it wasn't ultimately what I wanted to do, not what I've chosen to do more recently. So now you're in a director role. And what's been your greatest challenge this year, meaning in 2022, at Tilson? Yeah, so at Tilson, it's a few different things. And I'll hit your biggest thing here in a second. But in general, I said Tilson is a company that's trying to grow a lot. We're trying to maintain 30 and 50% per year revenue growth rates and actually looking at even more in 2023 than that. It's a challenge of not that many years ago, it was a very small company. And so it's trying, the biggest kind of high level challenge I would say is trying to both bring the things in and forecast and order things that we need and get them in when we need them, along with trying to put the controls and processes in place to make it sustainable and help the company grow in a sustainable way. Because obviously, if you just continue to do things in the same way you've always done them, in many cases, it'll get away from you. Obviously, so we're trying to do both of those things at the same time. And one of those things alone right now can be a challenge. So that's probably the biggest overall challenge. So the theme of our show today is about how to expand and maintain a larger supplier base, which has been quite a challenge for many people in procurement over the last couple of years. So I want to start with why did you need to expand your supply base when your spend only went up about 17%? The reason for that is a couple of different things. One is risk and the kind of the bigger picture, right? Is I like to have, I don't like to necessarily order order all the things equally from all of my vendors, but at the same time, I do like to have backup options to try to avoid risk, to have some other established places I can go especially the way that supply chains are today. The other thing is my spend is only up that much, but if you look at different categories within my vendor spend, other categories can be up quite a bit. So like, for instance, like my fleet spend is up 600% this year. My direct material spend is up about 50% this year. And like I said, my subcontractor spend, for example, is down, but we've still expanded our supplier base there because we've gone with smaller suppliers in that scenario. But so like it really kind of what your spend is overall doesn't necessarily get down to what is my spend in this particular category or this particular type of item or whatever the case may be. But the biggest reason for that ultimately, like I said, is around risk. I try to maintain 
the old 80-20 rule that everybody's always spend 80% of your time with 20% of your vendors, for example. That still works in supply chain and vendor management. But at the same time, I'm always going to be cultivating new relationships, new potential vendors, things like that. As if nothing else is a backup or worst case, I may find something new. I may find something that this is the way we've always done it. This is the thing we've always bought. There might be a better mousetrap out there. So I'm always willing to look a little bit. How do you source these new suppliers? So you mentioned a pivot this year into some mm -hmm. smaller suppliers, right? That's a strategy. But how are yeah. you actually going out and finding these new suppliers? Sure. So a, a few different, in some cases, like on the material side and telecommunications, like I, I know other suppliers. The other thing in telecom on the material side is that you've got a mix of manufacturers and distributors. So you, and a lot of times the manufacturers are going through distributors and there's the whole relationship there on both of those levels. But so the way that I often find suppliers is through connections. And what I mean by that is it's either people that have come to Tilson, for example, that may know a subcontractor, for example, or they know a couple of people that are good and I said, they'll give us a referral. I'll talk to people that I've known in the past. I'll talk to people, you know, that, and that is actually how a lot of them, I do get obviously hit up on LinkedIn like everybody does. It's, hey, we're going to sell you this next great thing. Some of that spam, <laughs> some of it I do find is legitimate, but yeah, so that, but the biggest way, honestly, is through connections for me. So why is having, you mentioned the word backup supplier a couple times. You know, when we were prepping yes. for today, you talked a fair amount about that as well. Why has right. been having backup suppliers so important to you this year? It's important to me every year, specifically in the industry. Earlier, I talked about you get that call and hey, we have a cut cable somewhere. And there's 30,000 customers out of internet, right? People don't stand for such things. So having those backup suppliers is one of the things, if I don't physically have it, I may need somebody that does. And especially the way things are today, everybody doesn't have everything all the time. Even there's some people that they really, that's their strategy is to stock things and have things on the shelf, whatever. But especially now, they try to do that, but it doesn't always work out. So sometimes having six, seven, eight, ten material suppliers for a given item, sometimes is what it takes to find it in the time frame that we need. So a lot of the buyers that I talk to work in manufacturing. They're mm -hmm. completely overloaded, working 10, 12-hour days, getting sure. hundreds of emails that they can't keep up with, don't have the bandwidth yeah. to read and respond to all of them. How do you manage so many suppliers without increasing headcount on your team? What's the secret yeah. sauce or your trick behind that? It's that 80-20 rule for me, honestly. It's like, I don't spend that much time trying to cultivate new suppliers. It's like one of those things that like sounds like, like, you must do that all the time. So, no, like I do that occasionally. I do that a couple hours here or 30 minutes there. Unless in some cases, like to cultivate a new supplier or a new contact. If I know a company, for example, or if I know a type of company or whatever, it may be a Google search. I may be on LinkedIn trying to make a connection. But at that point, it almost feels like you're a salesperson, even though you're a vendor management person, because you're trying to make the contact. You're trying to get to that right person that can then help you and get you the quote or get you the material or whatever the case may be. So it's just not something I spend that much of my time, but it is something that it's a skill. It's something you get better at the more you do, just like anything. So the suppliers that you are really focused on, that 20%, how right. are, what is your supplier management program? How are you cultivating and maintaining relationships? So we, we try to, in some cases we are doing periodic meetings. Sometimes in some cases it may even be weekly. In other cases it's bi-weekly or some vendors is quarterly or yearly, depending on how important they are to us as far as like 
how big of a piece of our world they are essentially if they went away was almost one way to think about it. So we are doing regular contacts in that way with some structure around it. Okay, what's going on? There's disorder or things like that. And then the other thing is in some cases, like I do spend time on the phone sometimes actually talking to people, trying to build relationships with people. Good old well, fashioned phone. <laughs> yeah, like literally pick up the, it, it's an iPhone. It's not that old fashioned, but still just say it. But anyway, but yeah, literally on the phone, talking to people, things like that. I'll try to see people when I can in person, not every day, not every week, things like that. Am I seeing people? But just to try to build a relationship so that if I do call and it is urgent, I really do need something. They know me, they know yeah, so I do try to build relationships as well over time. It takes time, just like any, but I do try to maintain relationships with my suppliers in the same way that a business development person tries to maintain relationships with people like me. Are you using any software or technology to help with this process? Right now, we're not. Tilson, kind of, as we continue to grow, I think that's a need that we will have eventually. It's not risen to the top of the pile as of yet, but yeah, today we're not. But again, certainly in the future, I think it's something we should do. But this year we did an ERP system, for example. This upcoming year we'll probably do a WMS. That's one of those things that Tilson being in a growth mode, obviously we've got to prioritize what we can do and when. Just that's, again, that's not been at the top of the list. And obviously we're doing data analysis. We're pulling the reports out of, we use Power BI for that. We try to understand and categorize our spend, but it's all a fairly manual process. I've got an analyst on my team that does that for me at this point for the most part. But, um, but yeah, we're not using an actual procurement system or sourcing system. What mistakes have you made as you've gone out and built out a larger supplier base and then tried to build and maintain relationships? I find a lot of times I learn the most from making mistakes or hearing about other sure. people's train wrecks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like to talk about my mistakes, Sarah. Come on. But uh, no, probably, yeah, this year, let's see, ultimately, we've made a lot of little mistakes here and there. Obviously, things, you can correct a lot of mistakes in flight and kind of fix some things here and there. But the biggest mistake that I probably made this year, ultimately, is not asking questions as much as I should have to try to better understand the need. And it's really not with the supplier. It's actually more with our internal operations to understand. It's like, okay, like, this is a forecast. Like, what is the forecast based on? Like, how good do we think the forecast is? What's our confidence in the forecast? And then really trying to work around because in one case this year, we wound up with a lot more material than what we needed based on what was forecasted. So I, I think ultimately it's asking questions and like I said, asking deeper questions in many cases and making sure that where did this come from? Is it really that? And trying to build more flexibility into my sourcing, even if our data is not that great. And you know, what I mean by that is working with suppliers to push stuff out, make stuff countable, things like that. sometimes paying a little bit more for something isn't the end of the world if you're buying something. Yeah, I would say, I feel like in the last couple of years, data has really been a challenge. Even if you have a good right. process and system in place, the, the numbers were so crazy with changes from the pandemic that looking at what you did last month or last year sometimes was almost irrelevant. And you really had to go with sure. gut or talking yeah. to people who are day to the day in the business who had a pulse on what's coming ahead in the future versus looking at the yeah. past. The other thing that happened this year too, was like I did multiple manufacturer, actually went to people's manufacturing plants this year for several of my key suppliers. And we literally did the multi-day tour. We walked and we talked through the whole process, talked to all the players, all the things. And a lot of my manufacturers at this point have done what many of them have done, which is they ordered a whole bunch of stuff and there's so they when you walk in the warehouse there's just like piles and piles of stuff but then you also look at out in the parking lot there's a whole bunch of other stuff sitting there that have you got a bunch of extra and they're like no, all those are sold but we're waiting on a part and I'm like, but you got all those parts it's still it's no guarantee you can do your best make your best effort but 
<laughs> Sometimes things don't work out like we think. So our listener base is primarily people working for a manufacturer, buyer right. or a, a director or somebody running sure. a team. What advice would you have for a group that in 2023 is going to need to build out a larger supplier base? doesn't know where to start. Like, what would you advise as kind of the steps to get the ball rolling and get this in motion? I would suggest making connections with your people as a start and or working with people within your own company that have been in the industry, whatever that industry is for a while, and just ask them what they've seen in the past at work, ask them if they have contacts and can use some of the contacts that you either already have or contacts that, that you would make in order to find other suppliers that may do things that you don't even know about or things that you think, so again, we've always done it this way. There may be a better way or there may be a, maybe it's not better, but at least it's a different way. And like I said, I've always found that talking to other people, both internally within your own company and also within your industry, I've learned things at trade shows as well. You see a lot of different people at trade, unless it's really being active at those trade shows, don't just talk to your own people, see what other options are out there and just open the mind and open the communication a little bit it has been the best way to meet people for me that can help me. That, or like I said, the other way is the old LinkedIn search, just like salespeople do. I've done a lot of that. Hey, LinkedIn is my friend. Don't diss. <laughs> what about from a, what about for data and metrics? If I have sure. nothing in place today and I want to start this process, what are the most important pieces of data that I should look at? Cause I can't do it all. So I need to prioritize. Right. Yeah, what I try to do, the first thing I did, like at Tilson, really didn't have the data, at least not formatted in the way that you would expect for like a supply chain organization. So when I got to Tilson, I'll tell you the first thing I did was I pulled all of our vendor data and really looked at where we're spending our money and really did a categorization. That was step one. The other thing is we didn't have a lot of clean data. And what I mean by that is we bought from this vendor, but the question is, what did we buy from this vendor? So like for me, what I've always found even before Tilson is that sometimes our my vendors have better data than I do about what they sold. As counterintuitive and as weird as that is to say, look man, my data sucks, can you help me? Sometimes I've found that works better. They have more detailed information about what they sold me than I've got about what I bought. So yeah, I spent $100,000 or $40 million or whatever it is, but what did I buy? Because until you get down to what did I buy, obviously I spent all that money. Okay, big deal. Other than maybe you can negotiate a rebate. Okay. But as far as ultimately making decisions around switching vendors or switching items or types of things, you gotta really understand what you're buying. But that vendor, that categorization, the vendor spend is step one because it helps you focus. And then from there, it's diving into what did I actually buy? Hopefully you've got inventory items, everything set up in your system with detail, right? But if not, go to your vendors. Yeah, so I used to work in packaging and print. And one of the things yeah. that absolutely drove me crazy was how few people had their own specs and information about the items <laughs> that they were actually getting produced. Like it would have Very the true. name and that's it. No size, yeah. no ink, no paper. And it's really, really important because if you need to go out and run a competitive bid or look for other right. suppliers, you have to have the information to know what to even quote. Yes. You do. And so that's, but you're right. And the other thing that I found over the years, even when I was at DICOM, because DICOM was set up around different subsidiaries. And so looking at different people's inventory systems at different subsidiaries, you'd always find that everybody didn't call everything the same name. Everything, every little part and piece has a name. 
and then everything has a slang name or about six of them. So really trying to make sure that you're setting your data up correctly for the future, calling things the right name, having the spec, to your point, it matters. And like I said, if you don't have it, again, I got no option but to go back to my vendor and ask them for it or guess. I could guess. Thank you for discussing how to increase and manage a larger supply base today, Cole. If you have anything sure. to promote or a project you want our audience to know about, now's the time. Tell us where people can go to find you. So professionally, the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm just Cole Perry on LinkedIn. I think I've actually even got, if you do like the LinkedIn address, like with a slash at the end, yeah. I'm Cole Perry. <laughs> so yeah, LinkedIn's the easiest place to find me. If you missed anything, you can check out the show notes. You can find us by typing in What the Duck, another supply chain podcast in Google. To have the optimal search results, make sure to type sure to add in another supply chain podcast in your search. To ensure you don't miss a single episode, make sure to follow this podcast and subscribe to us on YouTube. If you are new to the show, make sure to follow this podcast so you don't miss any of our direct material supply chain content. I'm at Sarah Scudder on LinkedIn and at S. Scudder on Twitter. This brings us to the end of another episode of What the Duck, Another Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Scudder, and we'll be back next week. Mm -hmm.